as you open your Bible to Matthew 15, which is where we're going to be this morning, um, this is our second Sunday of Lent. Uh, Lent is a, a period of time, a season of repentance and spiritual growth that uh, comes before Holy Week and Easter. This is a way for us to prepare for Good Friday and Easter to reflect on Christ's death and His resurrection. Um, this is not a not a commandment in Scripture to observe Lent. This is totally voluntary, but many of us find it helpful. Now, at this second week or second Sunday, this, this might be a helpful corrective for us. Lent isn't about rules. It's not about things to do and check them off. Uh, I want us to be careful with that. Lent is about using those disciplines to get closer to Jesus. Think, so, think of Lent as, a, as an extended date with Jesus. You're always supposed to love Him, but, but there's a time when, when affections are particularly stirred and there's, a, there's a, a time with great emphasis on Him, maybe unusually intense uh, compared to the rest of your life. Uh, if you're into working out, think about it as that time of a couple of weeks where you're intensely hitting the gym, right? You generally work out, but then there's that time when you really have to hit it hard. Well, this is Lent. It's time to kind of renew that faith and that commitment to Christ to discover His grace even, even on a deeper level. So don't get caught up in rules, but use this as a time of, of pursuing Christ and, and focus on, on Him and not on, on the rules that you are committed to for this season of Lent. Well, we've been uh, looking at Matthew uh, in the season of Lent. We've picked out several different passages where people are encountering Jesus and so we've called this series Face-to-Face with Jesus, where people come to Him, interact with Him, and are totally changed by Him. So today we're looking at Matthew 15 and the story of the Canaanite woman. We, uh, we're looking at this passage, and there will be some surprises here. There's, in fact, three surprising reactions here. One of them, Jesus seemingly being rude and mean. So we'll, we'll talk about that. And uh, we will learn about grace. We often talk about grace, every Sunday we do, but this will be a time when we really focus on it, and the whole sermon is going to be about grace. So let's read together Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Well, this is our passage. As I said, three surprising reactions. The disciples react to the woman in an interesting way, revealing that they don't understand grace. You have the woman reacting to Jesus, even after seemingly being insulted by him. She reacts in a way that tells us she does understand grace. And then finally, 
Jesus' reaction teaches us that he gives grace. So the disciples who don't understand grace, the woman who does understand grace, and Jesus who gives grace. That's our outline. So let's look at the disciples first. So this woman comes to them, and she's, she wants her daughter healed. This is a request that came to Jesus many times, and Jesus always responded to that. Yet the disciples seem to not want to have much to do with this woman. They tell Jesus, and in fact beg Jesus, to send her away, because she's crying out after us. They want her to leave them alone. Now why is that? Well, first of all, they're on a break, by the way. They're on a break. They've had this successful ministry in Galilee, now they've retreated to uh, Sidon and, and, and Tyre, which is a kind of a Gentile area by the sea. This was deliberate. Jesus took him away from the crowd so they can get a break, so he can get a break. And here comes this woman, and she's bothering them. Now, not only is she interrupting their break, also she's a Gentile woman. She's Canaanite. Now, if you've read the Bible, you know Canaanites were the ancient foes of Israel. Those are the people that Israelites had to fight when they took over the land. So she comes, ethnically belonging to the, the enemy camp of Israel. And lastly, she's loud. She's loud. And the disciples say, enough with the yelling. We, we're on a break. We're a Gentile, and you're way too loud for us. And they're saying, Jesus, send her away. Let her make her go. Now, this kind of reaction tells us what they really think about themselves. Now, when I read the Bible, I don't know if you do that. Maybe it's wrong to do that. I don't know. But I often envision things happening in a different way. So I thought, now you have, to, you have to really track with me, okay? I thought if this were a musical, right? So you're tracking with me. So if this were a musical, and if Lenny Kravitz played Peter, are you with me? Musical, Lenny Kravitz is involved, right? He's Peter here. This is how I think Lenny Kravitz, fulfilling the role of Peter, would respond. He would sing a song that would go like this. Canaanite woman. Stay away from me. Canaanite woman, mama, let me be. I have more. Don't come hanging around my door. I don't want to see your face no more. I got more important things to do than spend my time growing old with you. Now, woman, stay away. Canaanite woman, listen what I say. You, you had to track with me to Lenny Kravitz and the musical, but once you're there, this makes a lot of sense. Now, this... This reaction of kind of let us be, leave us alone, uh, tells us that they did not really get grace. That they thought of themselves as belonging to Jesus, as insiders to Jesus, right? Jesus is our teacher, this is our ministry, this is, this is our community, and here comes an outsider. Here comes this Gentile woman interrupting their retreat, being loud, and, and seemingly trying to get in on something that belongs to them. Now you see, they thought that they were on the inside, that they belonged with Jesus, and she didn't. Now do you pick up a, on a sense of entitlement perhaps here? A sense of uh, maybe that's, that's, that's their thing, that, that she is not supposed to interrupt and interfere with? It seems like it was their life, and she was just simply intruding on it. Now, a very similar reaction often happens in a church when somebody very different comes in. Now, I'm sure you've, 
you've experienced that maybe to a certain degree yourself, whatever side of the issue you were on, maybe you were the different person coming in, or maybe you were the person in the church surprised that somebody walked in to your church. And it could be somebody who was ethnically different, racially different, economically different, maybe had a different ability, so a person with disabilities or special needs come into church that's typical, perhaps like that. In fact, many churches struggle with that. You know, uh, many churches, uh, when, when you talk about special needs and disability ministries and, and saying we need to welcome people who are different from us, some churches would say, well, you know that they're going to be disruptive to our worship. And, and they would say, well, we don't really want them to be part of the worship service because that would interfere with our worship. Our people won't be able to worship. Have you heard that said? It was said here in our church as we were processing this transition into becoming an inclusive church and welcoming people with disabilities and special needs. And that is a question that often comes up. Now, I am so thankful that our congregation was able to process it with grace and through the gospel and say, oh, of course we want people to be here even though they're intruding, so to speak, on our lives because we want them to be here and we want to adjust to them. But that's not the story with many churches. Many churches don't do those kind of ministries because of that issue. It's too disruptive. Many churches don't want people who are different from them to come into their congregation because it's too disruptive. It's too much change that's going to happen. Uh, I've mentioned this, this story a couple times, which tells you how much it affected me at the time. But I, I knew a church that was seemingly a good evangelical church, understood the gospel, preached the Bible, and they were in, a, in, an, in an area that was a pretty affluent suburb for many decades. And then eventually it started really changing. And even though the church was mostly middle class white, the, the neighborhood became mostly poor and black. And the church had to wrestle with them. They said, well, how do we, if we want to grow, if we want to serve a neighborhood, we need to adjust. We need to change how our Sunday morning works. We need to make sure that people who are different from us would feel welcome here. And you know what they did is they moved. They moved to another area that was white and middle class in, in another suburb. They didn't want to change. And, and, and you can present this move as you know, any sort of missional, strategic plan. There's more people moving into the suburb. They need a church. And by the way, they're growing leaps and bounds, doing really well. But it's an anti-gospel move. It, it betrays that they don't understand grace. Because grace tells us that, that nobody's really different from anybody else. Nobody really belongs with Jesus. Nobody really has a right to be in Jesus' presence. Now, I'm not saying everybody's Christian, but I'm saying everybody comes to Jesus on the same terms. And the disciples seem to have missed it. They were surprised that somebody came that didn't belong. Think of it this way. If your mayor in your town says, we're going to have a town hall meeting, every resident of, of this town is invited to come, and of course you show up, and then you see your neighbor there, and you're surprised they're there. You may be surprised because you don't get along with them, or you don't like them, but they have just as much right to be there as you do. We shouldn't be surprised that anyone comes to church. Are you surprised? Somebody shows up and you're like, well, <laughs> that person doesn't belong here. 
Do you feel like this is your thing? That Jesus is your thing? Christianity is your thing? and Other people are sort of intruding on it? Now when Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now when you first read that, it seems like he is sort of agreeing with the disciples and he's saying, that's right. That's right, only ministering to the Jews. No Canaanite woman is going to get anything from me. And I'm sure the disciples at this point said, that's right, house of Israel, right here, we're here. And yet, I think what Jesus is actually doing here is he's going along with them. He's being sarcastic. He's, he's sort of leading them on. He's playing along with them to show them how much they don't understand grace and how much the Canaanite woman does. And you'll see more of that as we look at, at her reaction. But I think all this language of I'm only sent to the house of Israel is really meant to expose their sense of entitlement and, and expose their misunderstanding of grace. Because Jesus has not turned away anybody in the gospel. Anyone who came to Jesus got a miracle and they got, they got Jesus' care and help. You see Gentile or Jews. Now there is some truth to that, of course, Jesus is being truthful, as well as being sarcastic, that, that he came to minister to the house of Israel. Sure, the strategy of God's plan was to work through the Jews into the world. So that is true that Jesus spent almost all of his time ministering to the Jews. And this was strategic. He was converting them first, so then they, being his disciples, would be sent out and bring the Gentiles in. But it is not true that the Gentiles couldn't come to Jesus. In fact, last week we talked about the centurion, right? The Roman soldier who came to Jesus and Jesus responded favorably to him. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus always interacting with the Gentiles, never turning them away. And yet the disciples think, oh no, these are, just, these are not the people Jesus cares about. It's just us. It's just the Jews. It's just the house of Israel. And I think Jesus goes along with that thinking to show them that you don't really understand grace. But this Gentile woman really does. J.C. Ryle says, It is grace, not place, which makes people believers. It is possible to dwell in the coasts of Tyre and Sidon and yet sit down in the kingdom of God. That's true. That's right. That's the gospel. It's not because you're ethnically this or because you're economically that that you belong with Jesus. No. It's grace. And grace covers both Jews and Gentiles. Now the point here is that the disciples don't seem to understand and practice this grace. The woman was a Gentile, she was loud, right? She was interrupting their break, and so they wanted her gone. I wonder if we can identify with that. I wonder if you and I understand and practice grace. Are we bothered by some people claiming Jesus? By certain people coming to church that you may think don't belong here. Can you think of a person in your own life that you would just be really surprised to express any interest in Jesus or to come to church? Would you be bothered that they showed up to church? Would that really mess up your world if you see them on a Sunday morning and you want to know how to, how to handle it? Uh, let me probe a little bit. Let me help you with some examples. Uh, how about that self-centered an oppressive boss at work. That all they do, they just seem to give you more work and they don't take any credit, they don't give you any credit, all the credit is due to them and, and, and they're just mean. And If they show up to church, 
Or if they start talking about, about, about Jesus to you, would you be surprised at that? Would you be bothered? Would you say, you don't belong in, in that world. You belong in this weird world of work and, 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 and meanness, but my religious world over here, people like you are not welcome here. Is that how you would think? What about a parent that may have abandoned you or hurt you? What if they come to Jesus? Would you feel like that's unfair? That they did all that bad stuff and now they show up and Jesus forgives them? Would you feel slighted? Would you feel offended that Jesus would show so much grace to them? Now how about a Muslim or a Hindu neighbor? Somebody who visibly identifies with a different culture and a different faith. Somebody who is so entrenched in the cultural institutions that are built on that religion. And that you just think, there's no way, there's no way they would ever come to Jesus. So much would have to change in their lives for them to become Christian. Would you be surprised if they do that? Would you be bothered by that? You would have to adjust your world, for sure. But would you be okay with that? Now we have to think, we have to put ourselves in the position of the disciples and identify at least a little bit with that because we all struggle with that. We all have lists of people in our hearts that we just think, nah, there's no forgiveness for them. And yeah, what does it tell us? We misunderstand grace. We don't get it. Just like the disciples didn't get it. At least not then. Remember that story in Luke 18 where Jesus talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember that story? Jesus said, two men came to pray uh, at the temple, and one a Pharisee, a very religious person, has his life together, and the other a tax collector, a despised servant of Rome that's cheating people and oppressing people. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified, meaning accepted with God, given the petition that, that he brought before Jesus, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, the same dynamic here, right? The Pharisee is kind of like the disciples, right? Saying, well, it's, it's good that we're Jews. It's, it's good that we're Jesus. It's good that I'm not like the Canaanite woman. And the Canaanite woman is, is like the tax collector who says, and their only prayers have mercy on me. Now we read something like this, and because we're familiar with the story, because we understand the gospel, automatically we think, well, of course the Pharisee is wrong. Of course, he doesn't understand the gospel. How can you say, I fast twice a day, or I tithe, and that should somehow give you some credit with God? And so a believer, like, like many of us are here, reads a passage like that, and we say, well, how dare this Pharisee come to God like this? How dare he put down the tax collector? Like, doesn't he understand grace? God, I thank you so much that I'm not like him. Right? Do you see where we're going with that? When you start thinking along those lines and you're saying, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like the Pharisee, you've become a Pharisee. Right? Because you're praying the same exact prayer that he has prayed at the temple. 
Now, all of us have those tendencies. We're all struggling with grace. And in moments like that, when we look at somebody and say they don't belong, they're not part of this world that I belong to, they're intruding, they don't have anything that Jesus, they don't have anything to offer to Jesus, we're misunderstanding grace, which is simply don't get it. Now, let's look at the woman who understood grace. Let's see what her surprising reaction was. Well, it's surprising that even after the disciples try to get rid of her, after Jesus is silent at first, and then seemingly he insults her and offends her, she keeps at it. She keeps going. She keeps approaching Jesus. She, she kneels before him eventually and she says, Lord, help my daughter. Jesus tells her it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And instead of storming off offended, she argues with him on that basis. And she says, yes, Lord. She admits it. She says, yet even the dogs can eat the crumbs falling from the table. Now, what does it tell us? This, this, this surprising reaction of not being offended, not being insulted, continuing to pray to Jesus, continuing to ask him for help, what does it tell us about how she saw her relationship with him? She saw it completely by grace. She knew that she couldn't bring anything to the table. She knew that she had no qualifications that would make Jesus pay attention to her and help her daughter. She knew that she came with nothing. And she was asking for this great big thing to be done to her, for her daughter to be healed. And yet she had no love with her. But that's grace, isn't it? If you come to God by grace, you have no leverage. You are not bringing anything to the table. You have no qualifications. You come as you are, and you say, Jesus, there is no reason for you to pay any attention to me. And yet, would you please have mercy? And so she was ready to be satisfied with the crumbs falling off the table, because she knew that would be enough for her. See, she had such a high view of Jesus that even the crumbs from his table would satisfy her. She's not hoping to get a seat at the table. She's just saying, anything, anything falling from your table of grace would be enough for me. She got grace. The disciples didn't. They thought they belonged. She knows she doesn't belong. But she's trusting that Jesus would be merciful to her. Now listen to how Charles Spurgeon describes this. He says, The master had talked about the children's bread. Now, she argued, since you are the master of the table of grace, I know that you are a generous housekeeper, and there is sure to be abundance of bread on your table. There will be such an abundance for the children that there will be crumbs to throw on the floor for the dogs, and the children will fare none the worse because the dogs are fed. She thought him one who kept so good a table that all that she needed would only be a crumb in comparison. Yet, there, yet remember, what she wanted was to have the devil cast out of her daughter. It was a very great thing to her. But she had such a high esteem of Christ that she said it is nothing to him. It is but a crumb for Christ to give. Now what, a, what an amazing way to approach Christ of saying, I don't belong at the table, but your table is so rich, you have so much to give, that any leftovers, anything that, 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 that falls off the table is going to be good for me, it's going to be enough for me, and it's going to fulfill me and satisfy me to the full. 
That's the person who understands grace. She's not put off by the seeming insult. And again, I do think Jesus is trying to go along with the disciples' thinking. I think he's, he's playing along, saying, look, you guys don't understand grace. This person who understands, look, even if she should be insulted, she won't be. Even if she should be offended, she won't be, because she understands she has no leverage. She comes in complete freedom to accept grace. Now, this is a good exercise for us. Do you ever feel insulted or offended by Jesus? Do you ever feel like he's not respecting you enough? Ask yourself that. There's lots of people, and many, maybe us, us ourselves here, who say, well, I will believe in Jesus if he maybe is a little bit nicer, maybe he's a little more tolerant. I will respond to this sermon if the preacher just doesn't talk about judgment and hell and sin, you see, because I, I don't take that. But I'll take this other part that I like. Or, or, or maybe, you know, I, I, will, I will believe in Jesus if, if I feel like God really treasures me and he wants me and he's willing to, to kind of level with me here. But that's not the way of grace. You see, when you come to God, you should say, I, I got nothing. There's absolutely nothing that I have to offer to God. And so anything that he gives me, it's going to be extra. Because I don't deserve any of this. Now that's grace. And if you feel insulted or offended, friends, that tells us that we may not be understanding grace very well. How can you be insulted if you have nothing, no leverage in the conversation? That you are completely depending on God to do something completely unusual for you. You see, many of us come to Christ and we say, Jesus, forgive our sins, but please don't call us sinners. We, we don't want to come across as sinners. We just want this problem to go away, but please, don't make us seem like we're something awful. But we are awful. That's who we are. And that's why when we come to Him, we have nothing to offer to Him. But God in his great mercy, still accepts us. Now let me share another story from 2 Kings 5. Um, there's the story of, of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian general, the Gentile, not Jewish, and he had leprosy. And nobody could help him. And finally, he had a little slave girl in his household who was Israelite, from Israel. And she said, you know, there's a prophet in Israel that has done stuff like that, has healed people like you. Maybe you should go there and, and ask him for help, and he might help you, because the God of Israel is great. So Naaman packs his bags, and he takes wealth with him, a lot of money, a lot of stuff to offer to the prophet to, to, to help, uh, to, for him to help him, to kind of pay him this, this tremendous sum of money. He, he comes to the prophet, and the prophet says, I don't want any of this that you're offering to me. Please do not give me any of that. It's completely free. And you can be healed if you go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times into the dirty river. That's it. All you need to do is just go dip yourself seven times. You'll be healed. Don't bring me any money. What is Naaman's reaction? His reaction tells us he doesn't understand grace either. He turns, turns away and he wants to go back home. Because it seems too simple for him. It seems unfair. It seems like the prophet is telling him to do something. He can do that in Syria. He says, we have better rivers in Syria. Why do you want me to do this in this Jordan River? 
And why won't you accept my gifts? Don't you respect me? Don't you see who I am? And when you start thinking like that, it tells you, oh, you don't understand grace. Why wouldn't you do something simple like that? Which is what his servants tell him, and eventually he does, and go and he dips himself in the river seven times and he is healed. But he had to humble himself and say, this has nothing to do with respect that's due to me or, or with being insulted by him rejecting my gifts. It has nothing to do with that. God is doing this great thing completely by grace. And I simply accept it. That's what faith is. You just simply accept what God is doing. Canaanite woman knows that. She knows it's simple. She knows she just begs for God's mercy and God gives it to her. And when you think about your life, and especially if you're not a believer, maybe you're kind of looking at this Christianity and you're saying, what do I need to do? What do I have to, what do I have to change to be a Christian? Well, the gospel tells us nothing. It tells us believe. And for many of us, it seems too simple. You say, wait a minute. This can't be that. Don't I need to bring something to God? Don't I need to get my life in order? Don't I need to address this issue before I come to him? But God says, no. No. You don't bring anything to me. There's no leverage. I freely forgive you. I freely bless you. I freely adopt you into my family. That's how the gospel works. So you can't come to Christ and expect there will be a certain amount of respect and exchange of services. That's not how it works. You come as a sinner, poor and needy, sick and sore, and you say, here I am. If, if this is going to work, it's just going to have to work by your grace because I have nothing to offer to you. And God says, great, this is the kind of faith that works. This is the great faith of the Canaanite woman and the centurion that just simply accepts God on his terms. Well, let's finish by talking about Jesus who gives grace. The disciples didn't understand grace and the woman did. We do need to talk about Jesus who gives grace. Now I'm going to give you a passage from a commentary um, and then I will tell you how wrong it is. And since I have the pulpit, I can do that, I think. So, so this one writer, I think, completely misunderstands the passage and it's important to, to talk about this. This writer says, The Canaanite is an aggressive single parent who here defies cultural taboos and acts to free Jesus from sexism and racism by catching him, catching him in a bad mood or with his compassion down, besting him in an argument, and herself becoming the vehicle of his liberation and the deliverance of her daughter. This is one take on it. The hero is the woman. The woman that had so much strength and so much confidence that she could even convince Jesus who was having a bad day, Jesus who was caught up in, in, in racial and ethnic stereotypes of his day, she was able to convince him and her compassion for her daughter, in fact, conquered his compassion for her. Let me say that this, this interpretation doesn't only fit into this text, but it doesn't fit into the Bible. In the Bible, we see Jesus who loves people, who is not concerned with sexual, ethnic, or cultural taboos, who doesn't need to be liberated, who doesn't have bad days, who's always ready to help a sinner who comes to him in repentance and faith. That's Jesus of the Bible, right? So we can't take this one passage and say, 
wait a second, Jesus had a bad day. He was caught up in all this weird cultural stuff. And because of this woman, Jesus got liberated. The woman got liberated. What happened in the story? She got what she wanted, absolutely. And Jesus praises her for her faith. That's important. She has something to be commended for, absolutely. And Jesus does that. But it's not to say that Jesus was at any point unwilling to minister to her. That's not true. All throughout Scripture, anybody who comes to Jesus, he doesn't turn away. It's the same Jesus that tells us in Matthew 11, the passage we used last week, come to me all who labor, all who labor, right? He says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's Jesus speaking to us. Saying anybody is is welcome here. Why? Because of grace. Because there's no qualifications. You can come and you can't. Jesus also says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. These are precious promises. If you're struggling, if you feel like Jesus may not be on your side, if, if you feel like maybe you don't have anything to offer to Jesus, go to those promises. John 6, 37, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, and 29, where Jesus says, come to me, and I will love you, and I will help you, and I will bless you, and I will forgive your sins, because all of this happens by grace. So will you come to Jesus? Will you come to him Come to him as a pet dog, right, that's hoping to get any crumbs from the table. That's the appropriate posture for us in in prayer. We come and we say, I've got nothing to offer. Anything you give me is going to be great because I don't deserve anything. But an amazing thing happens that when you come to him as a pet, right, as as a lowly pet, somebody doesn't doesn't expect anything. What Jesus does, this, this is an amazing thing, he lifts you up and he says, you have a seat at the table. Yes, you come to me in humility, not expecting me to do anything for you, but only by grace, and yet this grace makes you a child of God. Amazing. We come to him, and Jesus says, sit at my table. Sit at this spot. Eat this rich food. Drink this great wine. And oh, by the way, I'm going to give you clothes that are appropriate for this banquet. The robes of righteousness. So you are totally accepted with the Father. And you can sit at this great table and you have a spot that's reserved for you. And you, have, you can stay at this feast forever. Totally accepted by God. Now, I just kind of feel like I've kind of said something totally contradictory, right? You come not expecting anything and you get all this. How can that be? We don't put our pets at the table. Most of us don't. Some do, but most of us don't, right? Why would God do that? Well, that place that you are taking, It's not really your place. It's someone else's place. It's someone else's place that now is offered to you. It's Jesus' place. When you come to the table, Jesus stands up and says, this is my spot, now you can have it. Here's my mug with my name on it. Here's my plate with my food on it. And by the way, these clothes of robes of righteousness are my clothes. And so we can be at the table because we're taking his place. Why? He took our place because he put on our rags of sin. He ate our terrible food and he drank that bowl of God's wrath that belongs to us on the cross. 
He did that and freed up a space at the table for us. And now we come and we say, yes, I'm a dog. I got nothing to offer here. But God says, not anymore. You're a child adopted into this family with all the benefits, with all the inheritance, with all the acceptance and intimacy with the Father. Totally accepted. Here is food. Here are clothes. Here is this great wine that you had never tasted before. And he welcomes it at the table. Friends, this is what happens at this table every Sunday. We come to this table and we say, I have nothing. And yet God says, but you are my child through Christ. Come boldly. Come and eat this food and drink this cup. Because someone else took your place and freed up a space for you at the table. If you're a believer, if you have the faith of the Canaanite woman that understood grace, that came to Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on me. If that's your posture, if that's your attitude towards God, you come to the table and be fed, your thirst quenched, your needs met, your faith nourished and strengthened, you come to the table as a son and as a daughter. If you're not a believer, I want to ask you to look to Jesus. Look to him who gives grace. Look to him who doesn't turn anyone away. Look to him who has enough grace for you. Whatever your problems or brokenness or, or, or history is, whatever your sins are, Jesus has enough grace for you. Come to him and be saved. Be converted. Be adopted into the Father's family and take your place at the table.